I'd just like to pray before I start. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this new day and I thank you for every person here to listen to your word this morning. And I just thank you, Lord, for your word and for the truths that you show to us through your Bible, through the Bible, Lord. And I just ask, Lord, this morning that you would take over and that you would speak through me, through my mouth, the things that you want to communicate to everyone here, including myself. And Lord, I just pray that we would have open hearts to, to, to receive and open ears to hear. In the name of Jesus, amen. <coughs> right. Well, have we got it? You can put the first slide on. Uh, can you see that? Is it, or is it a bit reached out? Is that, does that sit better with the lights off? Or can you see it? Seems okay. Does it seem all right? Yeah. I can't see it. Okay. All right. Well, this morning, I was going to be um, talking to you from the book of Acts, I thought, until yesterday. And then the Lord really laid on my heart that we should be looking at the book of Jude. I don't know if any of you have ever read the book of Jude. It's not one of the ones we tend to get into, is it? Anybody here familiar with it? Oh, good. <laughs> Now's your chance. Does anybody know where it is? It's in the New Testament, and it's the last but one book in the whole Bible, just before the book of Revelation. And it's one of the shortest books in the Bible, and it's certainly the shortest in the New Testament. And it's one of the most neglected books. Um, it's just overlooked very often. And so we're going to see what nuggets of teaching are contained in these 25 verses. Sometimes people think, well, it's hardly worth looking at, it's so short. But it's in the Bible because God wanted it in the Bible. So it deserves a bit of an airing now and again. And that's what it's going to have this morning. So let's see what we can learn from this for our own lives. I'm going to read it. Um, it shouldn't take too long. It's only, it's only 25 verses. So we've got the over, overall picture. And then I'm just going to take you through it. Not in massive detail. Um, not necessarily every bit of it. But just the things that seem to be the themes that would be helpful to us today. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I'm writing to all who are called to live in the love of God the Father and the care of Jesus Christ. May you receive more and more of God's mercy, peace and love. Dearly loved friends, I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I find that I must write about something else urging you to defend the truth of the good news. God gave this unchanging truth once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some godless people have wormed their way in among you, saying that God's forgiveness allows us to live immoral lives. The fate of such people was determined long ago, for they have turned against our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. I must remind you, and you know it well, that even though the Lord rescued the whole nation of Israel from Egypt, he later destroyed every one of those who did not remain faithful. 
And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the day of judgment. And don't forget the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with sexual immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and are a warning of the eternal fire that will punish all who are evil. Yet these false teachers, who claim authority from their dreams, live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at the power of the glorious ones. But even at Michael, one of the mightiest of angels, did not dare accuse Satan of blasphemy, but simply said, The Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with Satan about Moses' body. But these people mock and curse the things they do not understand. Like animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them, and they bring about their own destruction. How terrible it will be for them, for they follow the evil example of Cain who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they will do anything for money, and like Korah, they will perish because of their rebellion. When these people join you in fellowship meals celebrating the love of the Lord, they are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are shameless in the way they care only about themselves. They are like clouds blowing over dry land without giving rain, promising much but producing nothing. They are like trees without fruit at harvest time. They're not only dead, but doubly dead, for they have been pulled out by the roots. They are like wild waves of the sea, churning up the dirty foam of their shameful deeds. They are wandering stars, heading for everlasting gloom and darkness. Now Enoch, who lived seven generations after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, look, the Lord is coming with thousands of his holy ones. He will bring the people of the world to judgment. He will convict the ungodly of all the evil things they've done in rebellion and of all the insults that godless sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and complainers doing whatever evil they feel like. They are loudmouth braggarts and they flatter others to get favors in return. But you, my dear friends must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ told you, that in the last times there would be scoffers, whose purpose in life is to enjoy themselves in every evil way imaginable. Now they are here, and they are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They live by natural instinct because they do not have God's Spirit living in them. But you, dear friends, must continue to build your lives on the foundation of your holy faith and continue to pray as you are directed by the Holy Spirit. Live in such a way that God's love can bless you as you wait for the eternal life that our Lord Jesus Christ in his mercy is going to give you. Show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. There are still others to whom you need to show mercy, but be careful that you aren't contaminated by their sins. And now all glory to God who is able to keep you from stumbling and who will bring you into his glorious presence, innocent of sin and with great joy. All glory to him who alone is God our Saviour through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, glory, majesty, power and authority belong to him in the beginning now and forevermore. Amen.
That's the whole letter that Jude wrote to those people at that time. I'm not, as I said, obviously not going to go into massive detail on every verse, but we're going to pick out some themes which I think are relevant to this day and age. The main focus of the letter is on God's people, when people turning away from the truth of God and embracing false teachings. And I think we see quite a lot of that today happening. There's a lot of false teaching going around, and I'm sure you will, 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 will look at one or two of those as we go along. And Jude was reminding his readers of what happened to those who walked away from God in past history, those who had left the faith. And in a way, this letter is a warning against false teachers. Um, and in the, in the historical setting, these were people called, probably people called Gnostics. Um, they were a, a sect at the time who opposed the incarnation of Christ. They didn't believe that Christ had become, there was God and human being at the same, um, fully God and fully human. And they did not, and they opposed the call to what Christian ethics, to behaving in a, in, in a particular way. And Jude was writing against these false teachings and he was trying to encourage among the believers in the early church to believe the right things and to behave in an appropriate way. Next slide. We've done it already. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Fine. So we've got three sections really to this letter. Um, the first few verses outline the purpose, which I read out. And then we've got two other sections. One which is about the dangers of false teaching, which I've entitled, Don't Be a Destroyer. And then the duty to fight for God's truth, which I've called, Be a Builder. So it's simple. Our theme is, don't be a destroyer, be a builder. That's easy, isn't it? <laughs> Um, it's always good to have a look at the big picture so we know where we're going. It's a bit like reading the film reviews or watching the trailer before we go to the cinema, particularly when we're tackling a big chunk of scripture like this, so that's to kind of set the scene. So if you could give me the next one, Sandra, please. So these first three verses we read, here we, we want to know really who is Jude, who is this man who's written this letter? And he was a brother of James. James was one of the leaders in the early church and almost certainly was a half-brother, a half-flesh brother, if you like, of Christ, of Jesus, when he was on the earth with Mary, mother, Mary and Joseph as his human family and his father. And Jude is um, emphasizing this important relationship between correct doctrine, what we believe in, and true faith. And the truth of the Bible must not be compromised because it gives us the real facts about Jesus and salvation. And I think the main, one of the, the key sort of themes that we're looking at here is that Jude is saying to us and to the people at the time, the Bible shouldn't be twisted and manipulated. And when it is, by people who are in positions of leadership or in or prominent positions particularly, we can get confused over what is right and what is wrong. And he's warning us that we need to be very careful about what we believe, what we listen to, what we hear and what we see and what we do with it. And, um, you know, I, I, I just think there's a lot to learn here in this day and age when there's so much bombarding us from the media 
whether it's television, cinema, books, street life, home life, whatever, school, college, the workplace. There are so many conflicting ideas and thoughts coming at us that sometimes we think, oh, is that right? Does the Bible really say that? And, and, and Jude is saying we need to come back all the time, come back to the Bible. What is it? It's the only path that's right. And in this letter, before he gets going on the building up side of things, Jude is reminding his readers and asking them to go back and think about the basics of their faith. If people go back to basics, it's one of those themes that we hear now, isn't it? Back to basics. Then we can see the way forward a lot clearer. So that's what this is about, this introduction and greeting. He's setting out the scene. Okay, next one, please. Even some of our churches today, you'll find there are false teachers, godless teachers, who have, to use Jude's, Jude's words, wormed their way in and are twisting the teaching of the Bible to suit and justify their own opinions or to suit and justify their own lifestyle or wrong behavior. It's bound to happen. We are a sinful human race and people go wrong, don't they? And we have to be aware that because someone is a Christian, someone is born again, someone is a leader, someone is a minister, someone is a, a famous Christian writer or a famous Christian speaker or is on God TV, whatever, it doesn't mean that every word that comes out of their mouth or every thought that comes out of their head is necessarily right. We have to be on our guard. And this is what Jude is teaching us. Um, I'm not going to spell it out, but I mean, we all know, don't we, the current controversies in the worldwide church about what I will call alternative lifestyles and so on. And I mean, there's been a huge controversy in the Church of Scotland recently about all this sort of thing. And people can't agree. And all we can do is pray and read the Bible and, and do our best to follow the right path. We, we listen to all these different views and we have to be discerning. And we sometimes have to really pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give us a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of discernment to find our way through these minefields where there are no cut and dried answers when you're out there. Some people will avoid studying the Bible. Genuine people come to Christ, they love the Lord, love, love Jesus, don't somehow like to study the Bible too much because they think it's dry and boring. I talk to people and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I read the Bible sometimes, but oh, especially the Old Testament. I don't like the Old Testament. <laughs> or it's a bit difficult. I don't really understand it. It's a bit dry and boring. And that means they are missing out on a lot of the teaching and a lot of the understanding that would help them to know what's right and what's wrong. And people who are not hanging in there and reading the Bibles and studying their Bibles and coming to church and receiving correct teaching, they are susceptible to false teaching because they're not grounded in the truth, in God's truth. So we need to understand as much as we can about our faith, about the Bible, about the background, about all, all, all we can, in order 
that we can begin to recognize when something's not quite right and we can prevent wrong, wrong teaching from undermining our faith and hurting other people. Now in that first century when Jude was writing this letter, there were teachers going around teaching that Christians could do whatever they liked without fear of God's punishment because God had saved them and therefore they were all right and God wouldn't punish them and they could do what they liked because they could always go and ask the priest for forgiveness through the, you know, the, the system they had then. Um, they had a very light, white view of God's holiness and justice. And Paul also in Romans spoke about this kind of false teaching. And even now, today, you find in churches, as I go around and I talk to different people, some Christians will minimize the sinfulness of sin, believing that how they live has very little to do with their faith. But what a person truly believes will show up in how he or she acts, how he or she lives their life. And those who truly have faith... It's about the fruit, it's like the fruit on the tree, isn't it? If you, if you truly have a grounded faith, where you're looking at the Bible, you're praying, you're having a good relationship with your Father, with Jesus Christ, it will come out as a deep respect for God and the sincere desire to live according to the Word. It's not some false coat you put on. It's the fruit of that faith and that belief. This is what Jude is telling us. Okay, thank you. Next one, you've got that one up. Okay. There are some, that, on that slide, I just noted against the verses, you'll see the characteristics of ungodly people that Jude is asking us to look at. Now, many people don't want to believe now, these, some of the things I'm saying this morning, you don't hear in church these days. And I can't believe I'm saying them really, because I feel they need to be said. Many people don't want to believe that God sentences people to eternal fire, in inverted commas, eternal fire for rejecting him. We don't like to think of that. But it's clearly taught in scripture. Sinners who don't seek forgiveness from God will face eternal separation from him. And Jude gives this warning to all who rebel against, ignore, or reject God. Now, whether it's literally a fire, we don't know. But the punishment is separation from God. Eternal separation. And, you know, we, we have a responsibility as Christians to know, to seek to know all we can about what God has revealed to us on this earth through his word even though we cannot fully comprehend God with our small human minds what we must be careful about we need to be aware of are people who claim to have all the answers and who belittle what they don't understand and the last three um, items on this list are reminders to us today that there is nothing new under the sun do we recognize this behavior? Caring about ourselves, grumbling and complaining, do whatever we feel like. Do we recognize this behavior even in the church? I certainly do. 
I belong to a much bigger church, so there's more scope for more sort of variety of behavior, I guess. But I certainly recognize it. And I recognize myself at times with these attitudes and desires. And that makes me go, oops. Yes, little, <laughs> little press there from the Lord. Okay, next one, please, uh, Sandra. So if we're going to bring this up to today and think about how, we, how are we going to discern false teaching today? Are, are you aware of ever hearing false teaching as you go about different churches, TV programs, films, books, magazines? I'm looking around, getting nods from one or two. I'll just give you a couple of examples that I, I came across that were quite strong ones. When I was a relatively young Christian, I was taken by someone to an evangelistic rally thing at Meadowbank Stadium in Edinburgh a few years ago. And it was a well-known, I shan't name him, but he was one of these tele, American tele-evangelists. White suit, bling and all. But it wasn't Benny Hinn, honestly. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't. <laughs> he was probably imitating <laughs> and it's quite interesting because I went to this meeting full of I want to know about Jesus I'm a new Christian this man's from America he's got a big ministry all these people have come must be great and there were thousands of people in Meadowbank Stadium and I, I arrived so late I was stuck on the front row which was the last place I wanted to be and as I sat there with my friend, we were listening, and we, he started to talk about his whole focus was on him, money, his jet plane, the scope of his ministry, and I'm waiting, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Oh, well, maybe Jesus will be along in a minute. And then, hot, shock horror, I mean, this was so blatant, false teaching, I, 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 I couldn't believe everybody didn't get up and walk out, but they didn't. They sat there and played along with it, Christians. He said, I want you to get your money out. Hold up a money, hold up a note. He wasn't interested in the coins. Hold up a note, hold up a 20 pound note, I think he said. And then he, then he started to reel off all these scriptures about multiplication and blessing and prosperity. And he said, if you put that 20 pound note into the bucket that's coming along, by Friday you'll have 100 pounds. Because God will multiply. Now that is twisted wrong teaching. And our friend, my friend and I sat on that front row with our mouths open in horror. And we got a piece of paper and we wrote him a note. It wasn't a £20 note. It was a little note saying we didn't agree with his scripture. And put it in the bucket with all the money. Because it was, it was, it was shocking. It was so blatant. But sometimes it's not as blatant as that. But what, what worried me was there were all these people from churches all over Edinburgh and wherever who were lapping it up wrapping it up. I once went to another meeting where some visiting man with a healing ministry was there. We were all told to go to this church and I had really bad arthritis in my knees at the time. God's since healed a lot of that, but not through this man, I tell you. And I went up for prayer with a very new Christian again, wanting to hear about all this healing and God can do it. And I, I went up and this man, he prayed for, over me and he touched my knees and then he said, now jump. And I went, I can't. I can't jump. Well, he said, run. I went, no, I can't. And he went, well, it just proves you haven't got enough faith to be healed. And I was absolutely traumatized by that. 
I didn't know it was false teaching, but I've now since discovered the truth, and he had twisted the truth. There was enough of the truth in there to be sort of plausible, but it was false teaching. And I get a bit, I don't have a television set in my house, um, but I do talk to a lot of Christians who are quite hooked on God TV. I don't know, I expect people here watch God TV. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with God TV, but what little I've seen of it, I know that some of the stuff is fine, and some of the stuff is definitely not fine. I don't know whether anybody would agree with me. There is definitely some stuff pumping out of God TV that is not correct teaching, is not correct from the Bible. And I'm just saying we have to be very, very discerning about all this. And, 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 and I'm just, I just believe that this is a wake-up call for us as Christians. Not to be suspicious of other Christians, but to be saying, God, you know, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Show me what is true. Show me what is right. Show me what is pure. And show me what is wrong and must be put on one side. And he will. He will. You can put the next slide up, please. There's an alarm sounding. We are being told to watch out. That the church is in danger. It wasn't just in danger in the first century. We can see it for ourselves, can't we? We've only got to look around. The, the church is in danger in this country of all sorts of influences. And we need to be firm. You know, it talks in the Psalms about how we have to stand on the rock, the rock that is Christ. We have to build our house on the rock and not on the sand. And this is what this is about in, as far as I can see. We're in danger in the church against the false teaching. We're in danger against sexual, uh, sexually immoral living among Christians and Christian leaders. It happens. It's out there. And then it gets blown up in the press and there's all these terrible newspaper articles about the minister in such and such a church who ran off with the wife of somebody else, whatever it is. It's not good. Personal greed, nominal Christianity. And I actually think nominal Christianity is probably one of the greatest dangers to the church today. People who do not really know Jesus as their personal Lord and Saviour and have not surrendered their lives but think somehow by just turning up to church going on a Sunday sitting with all the other nice Christians that'll be alright I was at a part, uh, somebody's 80th birthday party last night and the host who house the house where the party was lovely man and he knew we were all Christians and we were all talking about Jesus and God and hallelujah and preaching tomorrow and he came up and he said I'm not a Christian, he said. I grew up a Catholic, but I don't really get it. And he was, and, and, and we said, oh, well, that's all right. You know, come and sit with us. It's about love, you know. It's about relationship. It's not about religion. Oh, and, and you could see his sort of mind was going. And I just really hope that that man begins to get it. Because, you know, that, there's that kind of, well, I've been brought up in such and such a church, doesn't matter what the denomination is, but that's not enough. Okay, let's have a look at the next one. Now, in this um, section, we've got all these wonderful verses describing these false teachers and what they're like. And I think Jude uses wonderful language, likening them to these phenomena, clouds blowing over dry land without giving rain. 
coming from them. Wild waves churning up the dirty foam of their shameful deeds. And the trees without fruit. The, but the false teachers were doubly dead in Jude's eyes. They were useless trees because they weren't producing fruit. But because they weren't even believers, they were going to, they were, their future was to be rooted up and burned. So they were doubly dead. Okay. And then he says in verse 11, how terrible it will be for them. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the false teachers. He's talking about people who walk according to their own desires. And he's talking about those who are going to lead other people astray. Um, there are a lot of other references that I could give you, but there isn't really time. But if you, you know, you will see this repeated in Acts chapter 20, 29. You'll see it in 1 Timothy chapter 4 at the beginning. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 2. I mean, it's not just Jude up on his soapbox. This is a message that God is really pushing through all these writers. You know, why don't these Christians get it into their heads? And we are to, we are to understand that many deceivers are, have gone out into the world. And we know from other parts of the Bible that the enemy, Satan, is like the, you know, a deceiver, a liar, the father of all lies. And that's what this is all about. And the deceivers in the world do not believe that Jesus came to earth in a real body. And such a person is, is a deceiver and on the side of the enemy, not on the side of Christ. And then he says how terrible it will be for these three particular um, characters in the Old Testament. Yeah, sorry, I'm trying to give you a little surreptitious <laughs> He mentions Cain, he mentions Balaam, and he mentions Korah. And these are three men who did what they wanted, whatever they wanted. Killing out of jealousy, prophesying to meet their own ends, or just wanted to take over. And they came to, um, you know, they came under God's judgment. And these stories illustrate attitudes that are typical of false teachers. Pride, selfishness, jealousy, greed, lust for power and disregard for God's will. So that's kind of the negative side. Jude has laid it on the line and said, you know, you're all a, you're all a right shower, really. You're under, you're under these false teachers, so please don't believe them, because you're going to go, it'll be a downward spiral if you go along with these false, false teachers. So now he, he, he presents the other side, because he's not going to leave them in this sort of depressed mood of thinking, oh my goodness. Oh. Anyway, so next slide, please, Sandra. Be a builder. So the last five verses of this letter are saying, okay, this is what you have to do, folks. Be a builder. Don't be a destroyer. Be a builder. And that spiritual life, a life that is full of Holy Spirit, will bring growth. And we are to be builders. Okay, next slide is really just a, a building up on that. I'm building on my building up slide here. It's always easier, isn't it, to pull things down than to build something up. You can kick a sandcastle over in half a second. It could take you all day to build it. 
But we're called to be builders, not destroyers. That means perseverance, patience, and all of those things. And sin, when it comes, into the, comes in the way, it's allowed in, it brings destruction. But a spiritual life, a Holy Spirit-driven life, brings growth and building. And then Jude gives us six ways to be a builder. And here they are. He tells us to build up our faith, pray in the Holy Spirit, and so on. We've read these already. It means, though, we are to pray in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who prays for us. And you can read how that works if you look in the book of Romans, chapter 8 and verses 26 and 27. Which says, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our distress. For we don't even know what we should pray for, nor how we should pray. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Effective witnessing is what we need to be doing you know, we can witness to some people just through who we are and our compassion and kindness. But to other people, we maybe need to witness as though we really were snatching them from the fire. We are to hate the sin, but we must witness to and love the sinner. I'm sure we've heard that statement many times. But this is really, this is really you know, when the rubber hits the road, as they say. Unbelievers, no matter how successful they seem by worldly standards, are totally lost and in need of salvation. And we shouldn't, we as Christians, we as a church, shouldn't take witnessing lightly. It's a matter of life and death. And we need to try and find common ground with those people we're witnessing too. And we mustn't fall into that terrible, terrible quicksand of compromise. It's so easy, isn't it? You think, oh, I don't know whether I could say that to him. It's not that I like it. Well, maybe I could just alter it a bit to make it acceptable because I so much want that person to be saved. So I won't mention about that bit. I'll only mention about that bit. And that becomes a quicksand. It's not of deception. It's that in itself becomes false teaching if we're not careful. And sometimes we do it out of kindness, motives and feeling. But sometimes we have to be, you know, very strong about this. Not aggressive, not pushy, just strong inside. When reaching out to others, though, we have to be sure that our own footing is safe and secure. You know, we have to be very secure in our relationship with Christ, our relationship with the Father, the Holy Spirit in us. We have to be careful that we don't start behaving like non-Christians to try and fit in, you know? So that no one can tell who you are or what you believe. Influence them for Christ. Don't let them influence you for sin. (coughs) Okay. Nearly there. So finally, we must guard against consequences of godlessness, fate of the godless and lost, infiltration of wrong ideas and so on it's talking there about creeping evil focusing on too much on ourselves and our own needs self-indulgence that awful advertisement they have you know buy this product because you're worth it (laughs) hey (laughs) I'm 
worth more than a bottle of shampoo, actually. <laughs> you know. And um, we must guard against bringing our own destruction. I've got here, this, this is a fascinating, I just want to read a couple of extracts out of this article, which I found extraordinarily in the May version of the Church of Scotland's magazine, Life and Work. And it's quite a, it's quite a blockbuster. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I've just highlighted the bits I want to draw your attention to because it's absolutely about what we're talking about here. And this man who wrote this article, whose name is Ron Ferguson, he says, I've just finished reading an amazing book called Crazy for God. It's about how a charismatic Christian leader made an international mark and then lost his way. It's riveting. It's a riveting, searingly honest tale which holds the reader right to the last page. Then he goes back and says, in the 60s, the rising star in the conservative theological world was an American pastor lecturer called Francis Schaeffer. Um, a prolific writer who emphasized the inerrancy of scripture. And certainly when I was going through Bible college, you know, Francis Schaeffer was one of the writers that we really thought, yeah, this guy's got it. You know, we, he was one of our, you know, on our reference list quite frequently on various subjects. Anyway, eventually he set up a teaching place in Switzerland with his wife. And he was, he was literally became, um, you know, the celebrity, if you like, the Christian celebrity. Anyway, this book is written by his son, and it's explosive stuff. Frankie, as he was called, spares neither himself nor his parents. He recalls how, sometimes before going to preach, his father abused his mother, sometimes violently. The man who talked so eloquently about despair in Europe's art and literature could be a man of near suicidal despair himself. The dark side of Francis Schaeffer was covered up. It was important to keep the theological guru's image intact. Anyway, it goes on a bit more. I'll get, take you on to the end. He said, then one day, so they got involved with Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush. It was all high-profile stuff, TV, papers, publicity. Then one day, Frank, the son, while delivering a rousing Take Back America speech to 12,000 Southern Baptist ministers... It's amazing there are that many, isn't it? Experienced a profound moment of truth. A lot of what he was doing, he knew in his heart, was phony. He found televangelists like Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell on whose shows he was fated to be repellent. And he also felt deeply sorry he'd led his father in the wrong direction. So at the height of his fame, he quit the whole scene. Uh, and then it says, unsurprisingly, some Christians, including one prominent British evangelist who doesn't come out of the book smelling of roses, have criticized him for letting the side down by shining a light into the darker corners of the conservative Christian subculture. I don't think these, this is the, wrong, the man who's writing this article, says, I don't think these accusations stand up. Christians should always prefer truth to spin doctrine. And then the final word in this article, and this is a challenge to us, and here's another lesson. Various Christian positions, whether fundamentalist, conservative evangelical, liberal, radical, or whatever, are a mixture of genuine idealism and nonsense. All of them. I'm not saying I believe it. I'm, this is what this guy's saying. And what of Frankie? Now a novelist and a journalist, he's found his own peace as a member of the Orthodox Church. That's quite something, isn't it? 
you know we have to be on our guard and on aware no matter how big and great people um, appear to be okay next slide please so what are we going to do about all this I'm just drawing to a close now we have to defend the truth there is no plan B we cannot compromise and um, you know to be sinless and perfect will be the ultimate condition of the believer when he or she finally sees Christ face to face when Christ appears and we're given our new body then we'll be perfect we're not now <laughs> no way but coming into Christ's presence will be more wonderful than we could ever imagine the audience to whom Jude wrote was vulnerable to heresies, to temptations toward immoral living, but he encouraged the believers to remain firm in their faith and trust in God's promises for their future. This was all the more important because they were living in a time of increased apostasy. Apostasy means turning away from the faith, leaving the faith, just turning it back on it. We too are living in such days, much closer to the end than were the original readers of this letter. We too are vulnerable to error in doctrine and teaching, all of us. We too, all of us, are tempted sometimes to give in to sin. Although there is much false teaching around us, we must not be afraid and we mustn't despair because God can keep us from falling. And he guarantees that if we remain faithful, he will bring us into his presence and give us everlasting joy. Amen.